Hey guys, how's it going? Scotty from Scott's Bass Lessons, and I'm back with another episode of the SBL podcast. Now, 2018 marks half a century, yes, half a century since the formation of the legendary group Yes, one of the biggest ever prog rock bands in history and true pioneers of the genre. Deservedly inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in April 2017, the band will release a brand new live album, Topographic Drama, live across America later in the year, which was recorded during the US 2016 and 17 tours. Now, on to this week's guest, and this is super cool. Nobody has filled more roles with Yes than Billy Sherwood, who is today's guest. He's been mixing engineer, keyboardist, guitarist, vocalist, and now bassist in place of the late Chris Squire. He was also part of the US prog brand, prog band, I can't speak today, prog band World Trade, and has guested with Toto and Def Leppard, and on top of that, taken the role of producer-engineer with Motet as well. So obviously, as you can imagine, uh, Billy is, his talents, uh, yeah, He's got a lot of talents. Now, in this interview, Billy tells us all about his time with the band, the new album, the upcoming tour, and his take on Chris Squire's incredible legacy. This one's going to be a great one, guys. I'm going to hand it over to Nick and this week's guest, Billy Sherwood. So, yeah, we're here to talk about Yes, um, who have just done so much and such a huge legacy Um in the music world, I was checking out today something like 30 million records sold during their career. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's massive. And I think it's easy to forget um, when Chris Squire was coming up with all this stuff. I mean, he's just one of such, a, such an iconic bass player, but he, I guess he was around before the kind of YouTube era. Um, oh, yeah. So is it for younger guys coming up today, he, they might bypass him a little bit. Yeah, um, which is uh, something they shouldn't, because it's a it's a super great way to learn how to play interesting bass. Yeah. <laughs> Chris's model. So I'm so glad you guys are still um, keeping it going. Yeah. Um, yeah. T- tell us about your involvement with the band. Cause it, this is your second stint with the band, right? Oh God, I've been involved for quite a while. It all started in 1990, 91. Um, when John Anderson was with ABWH, they were called, which was Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman, Howe. And so you had that version of those guys over on Arista. And Chris was without a lead singer. Chris Allen, Trevor, and and um, Tony Kay were without a lead singer on ATCO. And long story short, I made a record called World Trade in 1989 that was signed by Derek Shulman, who was mm-hmm. the lead singer of Gentle Giant, another phenomenal band. Yeah. <clears throat> Derek moved to become the president of ATCO, okay, where Chris and those guys were. Right. And he said, I've got your lead singer, this guy, Billy Sherwood. You should meet him. He'd be perfect. So he set up a meeting between Chris and I. Chris and I went out and had dinner and became fast friends and and, you know, everyone was convinced I'm going to be the lead singer of Yes. Everyone was convinced but me. I didn't want to do it. <laughs> I loved Yes. It was always one of my favorite bands, but I didn't want to be the lead singer. Um, you know, at that point, my career was just starting, and I, I just sort of knew, you know, that was before there were tribute bands and all this kind of stuff. I just knew it would be career suicide because I knew at some point John would be coming back. So, you know, why step in the line of fire? 
So with that, I told Chris, you know, I'm quite happy to work with the band on a production level and writing and whatnot. So he and I started writing a bunch of material during this process. Um, one song called The More We Live, which is on the Union album, which is a very special song. That's the first song Chris and I wrote. And then we wrote some other material, some that ended up on the Yes Years box set and, and some that found its way eventually to a band that Chris and I started called Conspiracy Outside of Yes. And all along those years, uh, 90, I kind of stepped out. They did Union as a band and went out and toured with the Super Yes, as they were known. And then when that record was finished, they broke up and reformed the 90125 lineup and made the album Talk. At which point, when they were getting ready to tour, I got a call from the guitar player, Trevor Rabin, asking me would I come out on the road as a multi-instrumentalist and, you know, singing, playing keys and just supplementing some things. And so I, I said yes, of course, and went out and did my first major tour with the band in 1994. Got to do a double bass thing with Chris. We had a really good time doing that. This piece called Endless Dream, which is in some calculation I can't even remember. It's a crazy <laughs> piece of music. Uh, and then played and sang and, and got to know the guys really closely by virtue of touring. You know, you get to know each other pretty well. Um, is at that point, Tony Kay and I became lifelong buddies and still, still are. And, uh, so that album finishes and that tour rather finishes. And when we land in, in Los Angeles, it's no one's really talking to each other. The band was, it was poison at that point. And so they broke up. Shortly after that, they reformed what was known as the classic Yes, which was Steve Howe and Wakeman back in the band with John, Chris, and Alan. And they were recording in San Luis Obispo, and I got a call from um, Chris. We just finished recording this album called Keys to Ascension. We'd like you to mix it. So they sent me the files, and or not files at that point. It was tape. <laughs> they sent me the tapes, and I mixed the album. Everyone was very pleased with the way it came out, and they asked me to produce and mix the next Keys to Ascension, which was Keys to Ascension 2. And so I produced and mixed that uh, in my studio in the Valley here in, in L.A. And it was at that point, right at the very end of mixing that, that um, literally the tail end of mixing that album, they had a big tour coming. Uh, you know, they were getting ready to go. And Rick Wakeman sort of pulled the rug out from under them all and, and quit the band. Mm -hmm. And so everybody dispersed at that point. <clears throat> I hadn't really finished mixing the record. So Chris hung out. We finished mixing the album. And I said to him, you know, I've, I've been around this a long time now. And it, it kills me to watch my favorite band just kind of rudderless and, and lost here trying to figure out what to do. <clears throat> what do you think about writing some songs and pass them around and see who thinks if there's anything worth pursuing? So we started writing feverishly sent tracks to Anderson, who was in Hawaii at the time. He had his own little studio there. He loved what he was hearing, sent back vocals. Alan White came and played on it. And before we knew it, we were formulating this new Yes and new album, which became Open Your Eyes. Um, and it was at that point we were getting ready to tour, and they all said, great, so you'll play keys. I said, I play keys in the studio. I'm not a live keyboard player by any means. I'll play a rhythm guitar and be happy, you know. So we got this other keyboard player, Igor Kohorshev, who came out with us. And we went out as a six-piece and did a bunch of touring, which was quite successful. And we had a great time doing that. Um, 
the next step for the band was making another album, which became The Ladder. And it was at that point that the band sort of decided, look, you know, you've produced and engineered before, but now that you're in this, maybe you're too close. Uh, let's get an external producer. So we went to Vancouver, Canada, wrote the album there, and then Bruce Fairbairn produced it and, and recorded it. And uh, unfortunately, he passed away at the very end, at the most critical part where the mixing was to take place. And it was a real sad thing. But the album endured, and it's it's really quite a good album I'm proud of. I think it came out great. We did subsequently a ton of touring off of that record. And after that record was over, I could get a sense that they were looking to get back to this classic lineup and and go back out and do the classic yes, kind of as they always were. So I stepped out, and that's what they did. They did the Masterworks tour and some other things. And it was at that point where I figured, well, my tenure with yes is, is over. You know, I mean, I've, I've always been called by yes i've never called them they seem to always call me so i thought well that's that's the end of this it was a a great time fast forward to um john anderson's out of the band rick's out of the band chris is is uh, touring uh the band and they're doing live dvds now and uh, chris called me and said will you mix this live dvd we're doing from from Mesa, I think it was, in Arizona was the first one, or Bristol, one one or the other. And I said, I'd love to. So I mixed the album. Everybody was really happy. Uh, they did another DVD. Hey, could you mix this one? And I said, sure, I'll mix that too. So I mixed that. And then they went into the studio to make an album called Heaven and Earth. Um, it was at that point near the very end of the album when they were getting into crunch time. They only had like two weeks left to get it done, all the recording before they started mixing. That they were running into some trouble for whatever reason with getting the backgrounds together, which I'm, you know, kind of good at. Chris knew, I, I knew the vocal side of Yes very well and could add a flavor. So it was at that point Steve Howe called me and said, Can you come in and, and work with us for a couple of weeks just sorting out the backgrounds, record them? sort of produce them, whatever you think. So I went to the studio and we worked for a few weeks and and just slammed out this amazing array of all these backgrounds, which I I think are quite good. And again, I thought, well, that was that. That was fun. And I'm back home minding my own business. And I I get a call from Chrysalis and we're not happy with the mixes. Can you mix this album for us, please? So I mix Heaven and Earth. And once again, I'm thinking, well, that was fun and that's that. And then, unfortunately, you know, 2015, Chris fell ill, which was very sad. I had just made an album called Citizen that's out on Frontiers, which has a bunch of great artists on it. And I included Chris in it, and I wanted him to to play bass on the title track. So I went to Arizona with my portable studio set up in my hotel room. Chris came over, larger than life, as he always was, you know, and played bass right there in the room and, and we got a great tone and sound and, and had a great time and did that and went out to dinner talking about yes and yes future and, and this, that, and the other. And, and he was speaking to me about getting involved again in some capacity, either production or maybe some writing or whatnot. I said, you know, I never say no. It's one of my favorite bands. I have a passion. I'm, I'm into whatever you want to do. So, 
a couple of, we were going to start recording a couple weeks later. He called me a few days after I got home. I called him rather just to say thank you for playing on the record. That was a lot of fun seeing you again. And he said, yeah, something's come up with my health. I went to the doctor and, and, you know, I've got some issues with my white blood cell count. And, you know, we'll speak soon, but I'm just dealing with this. So let me have a little time and hung up the phone. And my first thought was, you know, anytime there's white blood cell count issues, this, this is not good. You know, yeah. I didn't realize the severity of it. Um, he, his wife called me about 10 minutes later and said, you know, you're a good friend of Chris's. He's not telling you the truth. He's actually very, very sick. He's got leukemia. It's going to be heavy. We got to go through cancer treatment. He just didn't want to blow your mind, you know? So I then let a few days pass. Chris called me back and said, well, I guess you know now what's going on. And I said, yeah, but you'll beat this. Don't worry about it. You know, I I know people who are survivors of this and you'll be fine. Just get in there and, and, get it done and and you'll beat this. You'll be fine. And he said, yeah, the thing is, you know, we had this Toto Yes tour lined up that we were going to do. And I really don't want to disappoint the band and the fans and and the crew and and cancel this. And I said, yeah, but the thing is, you're Chris Squire. Without you, it doesn't go on. So just let everybody know they're going to have to wait. And he kind of went, yeah, I guess so. And, And I'll talk to you soon, you know, mm-hmm. a couple days go by and he, Hey, Chris, how you feeling? He goes, oh, I'm good. I'm just starting the treatment now. And I'm just kind of bummed because, you know, I really wanted this Toto yes tour to go on. And I said, yeah, again, you're Chris Squire. It's not going to happen without you. I told you to call the guys, go call them and tell them, you know, yeah, I will. I will. I will. Okay. We'll do that. And, and so a couple more days go by and he calls again. And I said, so how you, how you feeling? And he goes, good, man. And, I really want this Yes Toto tour to go on. I said, Chris, you know, I'm not going to say this again. Call them, you know. I guess I will. So the fourth time he calls me, he goes, I want this Yes Toto tour to go on. I said, Chris, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Why aren't you calling them? He goes, you're not picking up the hint. I said, what's that? He goes, well, I want you to stand in for me and, and go out and do it. And... You know, I kind of had an inkling of where he was going, but, you know, out of respect for Chris and my love for him and the band, there was no way I was going to push this point. So when he asked me to do it, I immediately said yes. And I said, under the banner that, you know, you're coming back, that, you know, you make an announcement and you tell everybody you're going to beat this and you're going to come back. He goes, yeah, I, I, I will do that. And, you know, but you're in. And I said, yeah, I'm in. Let's Let's tell the band I'll do this. So a few more days pass and he's calling me saying it's getting pretty serious. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I said, I don't even want to have this conversation with you. You are going to make it. Let's not even talk about this. He said, yeah, but in the event I don't, you know, I want you to carry on with this. And I said, I don't even want to talk about in the event you don't. Let's just, you know. But his his heart and his soul wanted yes to continue, even as he's dealing with this incredible taxing emotional burden you know of dealing with facing you know his his death still thinking about yes which was mind-blowing and it was probably the most devastating five six weeks i've had uh in my life you know since my father passed away 
And I gave him my word that I would do it. And we kept talking back and forth. You know, he, you got everything you need. Yeah, I got everything I need. Don't worry about it. You know, one of the funny conversations we had was they said, I said, the fans seem to be accepting of this. The, the only thing is, you know, because I'm on Facebook and I'm very, you know, active on there. So the only thing is, that the, you know, they're getting people saying, so of course you're going to play a Rickenbacker. You know, you're going to play a Rickenbacker. I said, and you know, I don't like playing Rickenbacker. <laughs> he said, that would be so ridiculous. Don't do that. Play your instruments, you know, play the instruments that you love. Um, you know, it was strange as a, as a kid, I loved Chris so much. I went to my first base. I tried to Ricky. It just felt so weird. I felt like I was betraying my own being <laughs> by, but I found my own instruments along the way. And I'm a huge Spectre bass player. So, so I'm playing those. But anyway, long story short, after that, um, you know, we were just getting ready to go into rehearsals and, and I was taking a walk one morning really, really early. And I came back and I just saw an email that said, Chris from the management. And I just knew, yeah. that, you know, this was it. And it was very, very sad, very emotional. It, it, you know, I, I, the first tour was really hard to do because my mind was just racing. Um, it's become a bit easier now with time passing, but there's still moments I'm playing with stuff and, Certain things hit me and I just got to turn away, you know. But that's basically my story of, of how I've gotten to be where I am. And yes, which is bizarre because they were always my end-all favorite band growing up. I mean, there was no other band you could talk me into liking more than Yes. And fate has uh, handed me a very interesting path that has led to something that I never would have imagined in a million years, replacing Chris Squire at his wish. But uh, I'm honored to do so and, and continue to. So that's the story. Wow, man. That's a deep one. Yeah, it's deep. It's heavy. Having known Chris personally so well and been so intimately involved with the band, how, how has that changed your perception of Chris as a bass player? Um well, I always had this incredible respect for his playing before I knew him. And as we were talking about back when I was, you know, first discovering them and in awe of it, there was no internet and there was no media where, you know, you've seen too many pictures of someone, you know, right. you only got those certain glimpses into who this guy was. And each picture had this just menacing figure, just looking like he's owning it. <laughs> And that presence and the style of Chris just had this thing to me that was like, God, if I could do something half as cool as this guy's doing, you know, in music, I'd be happy. And then meeting him and discovering what a gentle soul he really was and, and funny as hell. I mean, we would laugh about all, we were laughing through the whole last few weeks of his life there. We were, you know, just, he had this sense of humor that was just remarkable. And that made him, part of what I loved about him so much um, and why we got along so well. Um, he just was an amazing guy. And, but at the center of it, you know, is, is this guy whose mind could con conceptualize these incredible bass parts. Not only, you know, most bass players, if it's in E, they follow the E or if the riff goes like this, they follow the riff. You know, Chris was always looking for a really unique angle on things and a way to put, you know, I guess you could use the word orchestral, but that doesn't serve as well. But, 
but just some sort of more to it than just the bass being the bass. And over his career, by pursuing that, found some of the most amazing bass parts in things that, you know, are just timeless. You listen to them today, they're timeless. So I think about them quite a bit as I'm learning the various pieces for Yes, which I knew quite well. And I think that's one of the reasons why he decided, you know, to choose me, if you will, because I, I'd play him back his own stuff and go, you know, on Silent Wings, how you did this, but I can't figure out how you did that. He's like, God, I don't even remember I did the first part. You should be. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we had a lot of fun together and, and I got to, I got to also learn his techniques very closely by, you know, not only working in the studio and recording it and, and seeing it up close, and, but being on stage and watching how he, you know, pull back certain things, lead certain things or drive this or drive that. But one of the strangest things is, um, for me was growing up watching him, you know, speaking about how few pictures there were of him. His picking technique was always something that I found really interesting and high quality. And he was really good. And I always thought he held his pick in this certain way by the pictures I saw. And then when I finally, we got up close and personal, I said, let me see how you're holding this pick. And it was so different than the way I developed my style. It was way too late for me to change. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, for all these years, you know, I thought you were doing no, 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 I do it this other way. I thought, oh my God, that's such a trip. So there was little idiosyncrasies I picked up along the way from from knowing him and his personality and his playing that just morphed into my style as well, you know. I'm also a huge fan of other bass players, obviously, you know, Jocko, Tony Levin, Colin Malding from XTC, uh, you know, Ray Shulman from Gentle Giant, you know. But uh, at the center of it for me was Chris is, is, is really the, the iconic prog rock bass player, you know. Have you been able to put your own stamp on things a little bit? Yeah, um, I do, but I also try to very much respect the notes as sure. written because yeah. they're part of the composition. So I don't want to change those just to say that I did when those are the right notes that go down. But for instance, on this new record um, that I just mixed live uh, across America, we played Ritual and there's a great bass solo. And I went and researched several takes of, of his bass solos. And, and, you know, they differ in their own way, but they're still iconic moments that are part of the composition. So I took that approach in the bass solo and, played the iconic stuff and then branched out, did my own thing and then weaved back into the picture, back to where the, the other iconic moments were and so on. And, and so where I can do that, I, I do, you know, cause I, I'm not trying to be a carbon copy of Chris, but the notes as written are very important to me to get right. And then the areas of improv for the lack of a better word, which surprisingly there are a lot of areas inside yes music to do that. I put my own little stamp in there, but the flavor remains yesified, if you will. Can you tell us about the new album? Uh, it's great. I mean, we had such a great time on the road playing that music, all of drama and all of tales. Right. Band was on fire. Uh, you know, the production was amazing. Uh, I'm facing forward, of course, most of the time. But there were times where I'm communicating with the drummer or the keys and 
And I'm looking at this amazing screen with tales of topographic oceans on it with the waterfalls and, and just picturing back to when, you know, I was a kid just, uh, staring at the album cover and that's how it looked to me in my mind that was what was going on so to see it come to life from the production standpoint was really something special and then uh, the music of course which is amazing and you're playing it in you know to the fans who you know they love it as much as you do so there's a symbiotic sort of dynamic going on between sections with the crowd and and it's just uh, a remarkable tour one of the most fun tours I've done with Yes because the you know, yes, it's very political in its way, and the music is always at the center, but the politics, you, you know, become what they are, and each tour has a different level of politics to it. That particular tour was just seamless and joyful and, and fun and musically just sound, so I, I was really happy with it, which is why I was, I was really pushing to get it recorded as you know telling the management you gotta start capturing these shows they're just too good yeah so we captured quite a bit of the entire tour and then when it came time to mix it rather than pick one place because they had done that previously with bristol and mesa i kind of thought well first of all from a musician standpoint why not get the best takes of each? It's like going into a tracking session when you make a record. You you take the best takes that you can find. So I took the best takes. I listened through a lot of performances. It took quite a while because there were many. And I found the best ritual, and the best machine messiah. And, you know, no overdubs, no fixing of anything. Just that was the take. That was the take. And put it together. And along the way, that's when I, I kind of came up with this idea and pitched it to the band of what if it was called Live Across America? Because that's essentially what I've done here by virtue of taking it from Florida here, Jacksonville over here, and you know, Arizona over here, wherever it was. And uh, so it, it came out really, really good. Like the quality is really high. The playing's great and it's just i'm very proud of it the thing that is the most strange and i'm very honored about it and and kind of sad and both happy is this is the first ever yes album that chris squire won't be on right and that you know that hit me as i was mixing yeah and he's been a lot constant hasn't he throughout the whole thing yeah it's just really a heavy thought you know yeah you mentioned earlier on about fate coming into play, landing you this dream gig, but I mean, you've got such an incredible skill set to be able to play the bass or the guitar or come in and mix or engineer. How did you get to that level? Uh, as my dad said, take the gig. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, you know, I, I mean, I started a drummer. My mother was a drummer. My dad was a played every instrument phenomenally. So I was always inspired to try to play a lot of different instruments. And, you know, I got to be playing drums pretty damn good before I switched over to bass. And that skill set always just sort of remained. And I still have my DWs in the garage right now. I do drum sessions all the time for people. I basically take the gig wherever it was, you know, people would need a guitar solo. Okay, here, here you go. Or or this or that. And, and by virtue of doing that, I've, I've just been playing for decades now, all these various instruments and, and um, I enjoy it. I can't say which instrument I enjoy more. Of course, I love playing bass, especially with yes, because 
it's a bass player's dream gig yeah. if you're a bass player. But I also love playing drums, and you know, I uh, I went back to playing lead guitar in my band Circa because I wanted to play some some guitar, and so just keeping chops up over the years, I guess it's become something that's sort of natural. Engineering and producing came by virtue of having too many opinions in the studio. <laughs> You know, working in the early days, it's like, what's like, God, you should produce because you've got too many opinions. And I'm, well, maybe I should. <laughs> so uh, I I learned that craft through working with a lot of great producers who I was working with at the time and other engineers that I would peek over their shoulders. And, you know, Greg Ladani and, and Massenberg and Keith Olson and all these guys who were phenomenal engineers and just pick up various techniques and tricks. And, and in the same way with the bass and Chris, I, I just sort of morphed it into my own way that I see production and music being done. And it's served me well because I've made so many records I've lost track. And um, a lot of them are tr various tribute records, which afforded me to call in anybody I wanted. You know, I had the budget. I could just call in this guy or that guy. So I've worked with pretty much everybody on my wish list with the exception of maybe Kate Bush and Peter Gabriel and Sting at this right. point. <laughs> but it's never too late. We'll see where this goes. And being able to cover all those bases, do you think that's given you a different or given you an advantage or a better understanding of the role of the instrument in this band? Um, well, I know that I look at everything from a musical perspective, including engineering and producing. You know, mm -hmm. when I'm engineering, I'm thinking of sound, but I'm also thinking of the way that it's affecting the song, where it's sitting in the mix and how it's reacting to the other elements and, and things like that. And so when I'm playing with Yes, I, I'm, I'm still in that mindset. I can't help it. So at rehearsal, you know, I may look over to Alan and go, you know, there's this one part where the snares, and he'll go, no, it isn't. And I'll go, hang on, let me play you the record. You played it, not me. <laughs> it's right there. So I'm, I'm always sort of in this mindset to try to, to get things going and, and get them going faster. Because it's one thing you learn in the studio, especially back in the old days, not so much now because everybody has a studio in their, in their bedroom, but, Back in the day, you know, you were spending 2000 bucks for eight hours in a nice studio. You had to get things done and they had to be done right, you know. So I'm always trying to move towards the perfection goal line as fast as I can. And yes, it doesn't need me to get there, but, you know, but I can't help but bring that to the table when I'm there, you know. Last thing I want to ask, um, Billy, is just any message you've got for the, the Yes fans out there um, preceding this release? Well, thanks so much for hanging in there through all these twists and turns, and there have been many. Um, you know, the passing of Chris was was so catastrophic that none of us were sure if it was going to work. And, you know, quite frankly, had it not worked, it would have all been my fault for the most part, and that would have been devastating. So I'm quite happy to report that it seems to be working, and the fans are on board, and they're very kind and warm and I appreciate that. And uh, we're heading now into this 50th anniversary period, starting with the cruise in February. And I'm, I'm thrilled to say that my friend Tony Kay is coming along with us, an original member of Yes. I just saw him a couple of days ago, and he's just electrified thinking about doing this. And, uh, you know, we've had our band Circa for years and, and many albums out. So to go out now back and do it and stand on stage with him in Yes is 
is going to be quite exciting. I think the Yes fans are going to get a real kick out of that too. And there's some other surprises along the way that are going to come into play throughout the year of this 50th anniversary. So it's very exciting. And, you know, just honored to be a part of this amazing band and legacy. And uh, without the fans, it wouldn't happen. You know, I, I still consider myself a fan. So uh, I understand what it's like when, when this guy leaves and that guy leaves and, and, people kind of draw lines and what they'll accept or won't but at the end of the day for me it's all about the music and all of the music and and all of the participants so on behalf of that i say thank you okay guys scott back here and i just want to say a massive thanks for checking out today's interview and obviously huge shout out to billy for hanging out with nick and you know giving him the behind the scenes shenanigans now, if you haven't been to scottsbassessons.com, make sure you go check out what we're doing with the ultimate online bass school. We've got the largest online bass uh, video library in terms of uh, bass educational materials, courses from some of the best bass educators in the world. We also have live seminars each and every single week with the guys that have created the courses for the academy. Um, so not only can you study courses from some of the best bass players in the world in your own time you can also interact with them each and every week and ask them questions about you know all them questions that you need answered um it's one of the things that i wish i'd had when i was a kid and i was learning is my progress would have been so much faster if i'd just been able to ask somebody you know how do i use what do you do over a diminished chord you know like that i can remember that like it was yesterday i can remember thinking uh, what, what do I actually play on a diminished chord and thinking I wish I had somebody to ask now if I was in the, the situation now where I could you know be a member of scottspacesessons.com and the academy if I could have been a member I would have had not only you know thousands of <laughs> thousands of um, community members to ask but I could have also asked some of the best bass educators in the world so hopefully you're going to take you know take that brand new opportunity that you have now obviously technology is on our side and you know push forward with your bass playing and really take it to the next level because I see so many people so many bass players just selling themselves short on what they could you know, and should really be achieving on the base. And hopefully we're going to help you get to that next level. So go check it out, scottsbassessons.com. You can grab a 14-day free trial, take the entire platform for a test drive just to see if it's for you. And it will be, by the way. <laughs> and if not, you can cancel your account with any time, at any point within those 14 days and you will not be billed one cent, and you don't even need to contact us, guys. It's all, you can do it all within the platform. It's all automated. It's super easy. Basically, we've tried to lower that barrier to of entry just to make it easy so we can get you guys in and show you really what you can actually achieve given the right direction and the right tutorage, okay? So go check it out, scottsbassessons.com, and hopefully I'll see you on the inside. Now, as always, Take it easy and I'll see you in the shed.